Last night's debate was, um, chaotic. That's the nicest way we can put that. The NFL is dealing with its first team to have an outbreak of COVID-19. And we're talking about the new season of the millennial time capsule that is Hulu's Pen15 with the Daily Beast, Kevin Fallon. The date, September 30th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. All right. We unfortunately have a lot to get through today. So time for today's top story, Singular. Let's kick things off with this analysis of Tuesday night's debate from CNN's Jake Tapper. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. In fact, it wasn't even a debate. It was a disgrace. Um, and it's primarily because of President Trump. His colleague Dana Bash followed up seconds later, calling it a, quote, shit show. And she was right. To really underline that point, try to figure out what's going on in this clip. People out there need help. But why didn't you do it over 20, no, the no, last no, 25 wait, years? No, because you weren't president, you because you weren't president screwing no, things no. up. You were a senator. And You're the, the worst way, you president vice, America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let me, let me just tell you, Joe. For the record, they were supposedly talking about the future of the U.S. economy. For 90 straight minutes, Fox News anchor Chris Wallace tried to keep Trump in check, but it was kind of like watching a 22-year-old substitute teacher try to handle a 12-year-old demon child. He never really stood a chance. The result was periods where Trump was debating Wallace more than former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, the last four years, you have promised to repeal and replace Obamacare, but you have never in these four years come up with a plan, a comprehensive plan yes, to I replace have. Obamacare. Of course I have. Well, I'll I got rid of the individual mandate. Excuse me. I got rid of the individual mandate, which was a that big is not chunk a of Obamacare. That is absolutely a big thing. That was that, the worst I, I part of Obamacare. Chris, You're that was the worst him, part me. of Obama. Let me ask my question. Well, I'll, I'll ask Joe. I, 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 the individual no, I, mandate was the most unpopular aspect of Obamacare. I got rid of it. I'd like and you we to, will protect Mr. people President, with I'm the moderator devices. of this debate, and I would like you to let me ask my question, and then you can answer Go your question. Go ahead. Trump's seeming strategy was just a talk whenever he felt like it, throwing Biden off his game. And at times it seemed to work because it's got to be hard to keep a train of thought when you've got that going in your ear. That led to some confusing moments when Biden seemed to get lost in whether he was responding to Wallace's question or Trump's distraction. And at one point, Biden had had enough. Fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you answer that because question? the question you is the question Supreme is the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, your, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? Right. Gentlemen, is, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have end, oh, no, no. Not give a list. We have ended this segment. We're going to move on to the second segment. That was really a pr productive segment, wasn't it? <laughs> Keep yapping, man. The people understand, Joe. <laughs> they sure 47 do. years, you've Joe, done nothing. They understand. Oh. All right. Pivoting to the substance of the debate, if you can call it that, it was an avalanche of lies from the president, as expected, but two moments stood out as genuinely disturbing. The first was when President Trump was asked if he would condemn white supremacists, and he wound up doing a bit of a soft shoe around the issue. Everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what are you, what are you, you what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call him? What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right like me to condemn? White supremacists and right proud boys. boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. 
The Proud Boys, who have been described as a white supremacist militia, were thrilled by this mention and immediately turned Trump's stand back, stand by comments into a rallying cry. The other moment came at the end of the debate. This year's surge in mail-in ballots will likely mean it'll be days or weeks before we have a solid idea of who won. Wallace asked both candidates whether they'd hold off on declaring victory until after the votes had been counted. Biden said yes. Trump said this. I'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because that's what has to happen. I am urging them to do it. As you know, today there was a big problem. In Philadelphia, they went in to watch. They were called poll watchers, a very safe, very nice thing. They were thrown out. They weren't allowed to watch. You know why? Because bad things happen in Philadelphia, bad things. And I am urging... I am urging my people. I hope it's going to be a fair election. If it's a fair election, I am 100 percent on board. But if I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated, I can't go along with that. And I'll tell you what, what from a common sense, does that mean you're going to tell your people to take to the street? It means you have a fraudulent election. That thing in Philly he was talking about, uh, an uncredentialed person tried to go not to a polling place, but an election office and was turned away. But yeah. All in all, not really encouraging, nor is the fact that there are three debates left before November 3rd. That includes the vice presidential debate and two more between Trump and Biden as of this point. And already there are people asking, do we really need more of this? I honestly don't even know where to start. Number one, I will say, Hayes, I'm mad you and our and to and to Dan, our audio engineer, for making me listen to all of that again. Already did it last night. Uh, don't love that it, that we had to listen again uh, because it's truly nonsense. And it was. I got to this point where I was watching with my roommates. I couldn't hear. I couldn't understand what was happening. And I'm most of America felt that way. Wallace felt that way. It was extremely difficult. Yeah, I it, I knew going into it that it would be confusing, that Trump would lie a lot, that it would be just him making loud noises. But what I didn't expect was how much that would affect the overall flow of the debate to the point that you just couldn't really understand what happened at all. There's no sense of like what either person really wants, except the chaos that Trump brought. Like Biden, he tried his best to sound presidential, to put forward actual plans on climate change, on health care, etc. But it all got so muddled as, you know, one of the things that popped into my mind was Biden has to deal with both having to answer the question at hand, decide whether to ignore or acknowledge President Trump as he's continually talking, whether to try to talk over him and just l- keep going, uh, all while having to deal with the fact that uh, he has a stutter. So he is trying to hold on to those words and get them out as cleanly as possible while still processing everything else that's happening around him. I don't really stutter and I would have a really hard time with that. Yes, that is an immensely difficult thing to do. A lot of brain power. It takes a lot of brain power to do that. Something that I thought was really interesting. um, My best friend, she's a speech pathologist, and she had posted last night, why do we avoid the discomfort that comes with watching someone stutter or perhaps more frequently someone trying to avoid stuttering? Why do our brains register such a vulnerability as weakness? What makes you choose to side with the bully? How can we heal this country's very wounded inner child? And it is. We see it as a form of weakness. And I'm like, no, this is strength. He was able to put sentences together during all of that. <laughs> right. Uh, and just jumping back to like the worrying things, like I, the fact that 
he basically confirmed that thing we were talking about uh, last week, where during like the weeks between November 3rd, when people who have voted in person, those votes are counted, and the, everyone who mailed them in, when those are finished counting, that's going to be a really wild time in this country. And Wallace tried to get both of them to say, like, okay, won't declare victory, won't rally my people to the streets, we'll just wait and see, and Trump refused, basically saying, like, yeah, I'm totally going to just say I won on the night of the election and we'll just go yeah. from there, man. That was the thing that was scary. Then he was like, well, no, on November 3rd. And we're like, no, we won't. But he's like, we will. Mm, okay. Casey, anything anything good in pop culture news today? You know, I wish I could say yes, Hayes. Um, but first, the NFL is in its fourth week of the season and have managed to avoid a coronavirus outbreak until now. Yesterday, the Tennessee Titans confirmed that four of their players had tested positive for the coronavirus along with another five team staff members. Titans coach Mike Vrabel said today that some of those players who tested positive were experiencing flu-like symptoms. The Titans had just played the Minnesota Vikings last weekend, and so far it looks like none of the Vikings have tested positive. They're scheduled to play the Houston Texans on Sunday. The Titans were supposed to play the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that game has been postponed, but only until probably Monday or Tuesday to allow for more testing. Unlike the NBA and the NHL, which sequestered their players away in isolated bubbles to lower the risk of infection, the NFL has followed Major League Baseball in being a bit more lax. But the league is starting to crack down harder on coaches who don't wear masks during games. ESPN says that a memo went out today saying, quote, threatening suspensions and forfeiture of draft picks as punishment for failing to comply with COVID-19 game day protocols. Well, good for them. Uh, So honestly, I haven't watched football at all this year because I don't want to encourage them. So I should have it in a minute. But yeah, uh, if you're not wearing a mask on the sidelines, I, I can't support that. Good. Get your draft picks taken away. I know. I also think that's a hilarious punishment. I didn't know they could do that. And I love that. Um, but no, I mean, they're, they're usually like screaming, yelling, coaching, etc. You know, that's going to transfer your saliva. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a great image from like week one where the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, he had a face shield on without a mask and the front of it was just fogged up, completely covered with like breath droplets. As, and that's like one of the clearest examples I've seen of like, OK, this is why you need to mask up because you are just putting this all out there into the ether. Right. And I I think the thing that upsets me the most of this is just that they'll just probably reschedule for Monday or Tuesday to allow for more testing. It's like, sure, great, more testing. But I think that's the same same problem that everyone keeps seeing with this, no matter what industry you are in, that it's like, that's just delayed by a couple more days. And it's like, no, why don't we sit down, come up with a plan and then do it when it's the right time? Because I'm sorry, if they play a game before they should and another team gets infected, then other teams will get infected. I mean, it's truly wild. Uh, Virology. Fucking how does it work? (laughs) Okay, and moving on, Disney is set to lay off 28,000 employees at its theme parks. That makes up about a quarter of their total theme park staff. Earlier in the year, when the pandemic first hit, Disney had attempted to keep their employees furloughed with full health care for as long as possible. But after posting a loss of $4.84 billion in the third quarter of 2020, they announced yesterday that thousands of workers would be let go. These cuts will mostly affect part-time workers in their California and Florida theme parks, but will also affect people who work for Disney's Cruise Line and its retail stores. 
Josh DeMauro, chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products, put at least part of the blame on the California state government, saying this problem was made worse by, quote, the state's unwillingness to lift restrictions that would allow Disneyland to reopen. Firing back, California Secretary of Health and Human Services, Dr. Mark Galley, said, quote, without a vaccine, it is impossible to eliminate the economic impacts caused by the virus. By taking a science-based approach to reopening, we can minimize the health and economic risks that would be caused by opening and shutting repeatedly. Wow, that actually segues perfectly from what we were just saying earlier. I like, know, right? It does. <laughs> that if we keep like jumping in and out of like open and close, open, close. There's no way to plan for that. There's no way to have like a solid, like long-term strategy in place. If you're just flailing, if you're just flailing tactically. Everyone's just going to be confused and lol at him blaming it on California. I'm like, I'm sorry that California is trying to shut down and make everyone safe. (laughs) I mean, it's just also wild when you have Florida sitting right there reopening everything, despite the huge caseload of coronavirus that is still circulating throughout the state. Sure. Why not? Blame California, though. (sighs) Oh, Disney. But also 20,000 is so many people, though. That is that's a lot to be added to the unemployment list at a time like this. When we come back, we've got Kevin Fallon, senior entertainment reporter at The Daily Beast, here to talk about Hulu's Pen15. Stay right there. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I always wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. Prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant, picking up these girls, getting them in a position of vulnerability. When he got a hold of their neck, that was it. I'm Carolyn Osorio, a journalist and lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer that bears its name. How many times did you bring the camera to One the river? time. Just one time. one time. He started fantasizing about having sex with his mother. Then he fantasized about killing her. But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims. We stayed in the woods. He always liked to go in the woods. She was just, to all of us, kind of strange. You know how he feels about prostitutes? Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Paris Hilton. Last year, I revealed the story of my abuse at Provo Canyon School. Since then, thousands of survivors have come forward. Now I'm on a mission to expose the truth of the entire industry. In this weekly investigative podcast, me and my host, Rebecca Mellinger and Caroline Cole, will examine one infamous teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. When you first get there, you have to experience girls screaming locked up, peeing themselves, in the hallway sleeping. And you're like, where am I? 
holy heck, this is not what I expected. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Being a teenager is almost by definition hard, and the hit show Pin 15 has done its absolute best to capture that experience as it was felt by those of us who were turning 12 and 13 around the year 2000. Season 2 launched on Hulu earlier this month and has drawn rave reviews so far for its honest portrayal of what being a teen was like at the turn of the millennium. One of the people praising the show is fellow millennial and senior entertainment reporter for The Daily Beast, Kevin Fallon, who is here with us today. Good afternoon, Kevin. Hi. So first of all, can we all just acknowledge how weird it it still is to see the years you were a teenager staged as a period piece? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's so weird. As weird as it is to think about that, that was 20 years ago. (laughs) Nope. Refuse. I absolutely <laughs> refuse to believe that, though. <laughs> and OK, so I've told Hayes this, but a very like fun fact about me is that I actually went to middle school at the school that Pen15 filmed at. Oh, my gosh. Really? <laughs> yes. Although now based on Hayes's face, I don't even know if he did know that. <laughs> so, I, 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 You told me, but I forgot <laughs> until this moment. So I went there. So it's extra weird for me as this being a period piece because it is accurate. It is an accurate period piece. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, yep, that's where I ate lunch in seventh grade. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the trauma. I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of trauma, uh, the show has a lot of cringe humor because, duh, it's about middle school. But what is it do you think it is about Pin 15 that really hits millennials just right in the feels? I mean, I think it's the fact that it's the first time that in all of this grand discussion about what it means to be a millennial today, we're actually like doing an origin story we're like having we're having empathy for how we got to this place and and sort of just remembering the things that we had to go through at the most formative time of our lives um and and i think it adds a little bit of texture and empathy and feeling to this whole discussion about what it means to be the millennial generation so the stars of the show, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, both play semi-autobiographical versions of their 13-year-old selves, and the illusion isn't always perfect. Why do you think it works for the most part, though? My feeling is that it, it helps bring you back to what you felt at the time by seeing someone at the age they are now reliving that experience. And also, they're so good at playing that age that while that sort of gimmick never leaves your mind, you you automatically go along for their emotional journeys. So I think it's like a combination of those two things. Right. And they do a really great job, it seems like, of like physically bending and twisting and making themselves look as much as possible like their actual teenage co-stars without it being completely effective. Yeah. It also, I think, reminds you of how much you you haven't changed over these last 20 years but by like how seamlessly they're able to sort of just recreate that time of their lives you you remember that like yes we we think that we've grown so much but actually we're still very much the same people that we were when we were 13. You said in an article last week that this moment that us millennials are going through as we enter and or plow through our 30s is a real turning point and that this show's release was perfectly timed. Uh, Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I I think that we're sort of confronting the fact that we're getting older and in ways that we haven't really had to acknowledge before and, you know, what that means in terms of our financial status and in terms of our, you know, 
personal lives and our marriages and, and also just like the dumpster fire of the, the world that we're living in right now. And, and how much of that is outside of our control. It's interesting to go back to a time in our lives where we felt like the world was sort of ours for the taking and relive all the things that were again, outside of our control that sort of uh, informed who we have become today. It's, it's this really a meta experience and it's done in a way that I haven't seen done before. That's it, it's so accurate. Like I, it, the, the way it captures how I felt at that time is like unreal to me, how, how well they do it. it, it it's, it's really, really impressive. In another article, you wrote that you personally connected with the character Gabe, whose storyline sees him pressured into kissing and dating girls as he comes of age. Without spoiling too much of the plot, what was it about that storyline that resonated with you? Yeah, I think that when we um, watch coming out stories on TV, so often we watch a character come out of the closet and we see the way in which it affects his relationships and people rally around him or they're, they're sort of turned away. That's not what people go through often at that time in their lives. It's, it's a very gray area. You know, coming to terms with your sexuality doesn't happen like a light switch. You, you, you have feelings that you don't understand and it's this, this huge uh, sort of cloud that weighs over you. What that storyline does so well is sort of capture those feelings of a person who knows that there's something different about him and knows that they're, you know, they're, they're questions about the sexu- his sexuality that are being, that are being raised, but it's not as clear as I'm going to come out and everyone's going to now know this thing about me. So, so that sort of am- ambiguity, I think, is what the show has done so well. So, okay, so we also have to mention this quote that Dylan Gage, who plays Gabe, told you, quote, I think that the craziest thing is just like what they did all day. Like they didn't have YouTube back then. They didn't have memes to share. The video games they had were like Nintendo 64 and stuff. So I genuinely don't know what they did all day. How did you not just collapse into a puff of dust when he said that to you? Um, I promise you I cackled like louder than I ever have in my entire life. Um, I, I, I feel a little bit bad because, you know, people, when they see a tweet being ret- like retweeted into the timeline, they don't necessarily read an entire article that it's coming from. And so they took that out of context as this really sweet guy um, dunking on an entire generation of people. <laughs> <laughs> when that wasn't the case, it was in this context of this larger conversation of, of that coming out storyline we were just discussing. Um, but at the same time, I, I also <laughs> see his point. <laughs> like I, 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 when he was saying that, I was thinking like, what did I do all day? I, I kind of like, we read books sometimes, like we watched TV and what was on was what was on. And wow, I am fucking ancient, huh? Wow, geez. I'll I'll tell you what we did. And this, this is very pen 15. My sister and I would put uh, Seventh Heaven on mute and then act out the <laughs> subtitles. That's, that's what we did in the early 2000s. <laughs> I remember just a lot of like bike riding around with my friends like like just from location to location and then just sort of like sitting there. I don't even think we talked yep. about anything. We just sort of like biked to a place and sat there. Mm-hmm. So with all that said, Pen15 is steeped with Y2K throwback references and nostalgic pop culture, like aim away messages and clear plastic everything. But okay, what is one thing that you're really happy to have left in the past? For me, it's the um, desire to have that like middle part, like butt, haircut, mm. which I could never actually accomplish when I was that age, but it was all that I wanted to be able to do. Cause like 
Jonathan Taylor Thomas had it and Zavon Sawa had it. It's like, it was like the cool kid's haircut and it never worked on me. Um, but looking <laughs> back at it, I now realize how ugly it was. So I'm sort of glad <laughs> that I never, <laughs> I never got to work. Do you know what I'm also glad has gone? I'd be interested for the guys in the early 2000s, the girls, we, the, the color schemes that we were given. We were given like this um, bright green and bl- bright blue, and those were the colors you needed, or you had a bright pink and bright orange. You, you could be one of those two sets and nothing else. What did the guys wow, have? Wow, that's really true. <laughs> oh, God, what did we have? We had, I don't know, shitty jerseys, I guess. Yeah. That was really wide leg jeans, I think. Was that mm. around the year 2000, the, yeah. the Jenko jeans? That was like within that, within like plus or minus two or three years. Yeah, I'd say that counts. Uh, okay, so so last thing. You also said in one of your articles, quote, the beauty of Pen15 is the way in which it implores viewers to have post facto empathy for the people they grew up with. Uh, Have you had any moments yourself where you've looked back and thought, wow, I get that. I get that person now in a way that you didn't expect? Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, it made me think about all the other people who are just sort of like in the cafeteria and in the hallway when I was in middle school who, you know, I didn't really think about her when I think about it, it was probably in the form of gossip with other people and had no idea what they were going through. And even in terms of the coming out storyline, you know, I assumed that I was alone <laughs> in, in that journey when I was in middle school. And in the last 20 years, I've learned that I wasn't. There have been other guys from my class who have come out of the closet who I didn't realize were going through the same things I was going through at that time. Um, those same, you know, confusing questions, the same sort of gray area. And so now thinking back, it's, it's interesting to wonder, you know, what their mindset must have been like and what they were going through at that time too. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for a conversation with Covier Biacolo about the ways that gentrification and COVID-19 have collided. And remember, termites are gross and evil. And shout out to the people who came through my apartment to kill them while we were recording this. I was totally calm, cool, and collected. Entirely. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Hey, Randy, what you doing? Oh, hey, Dave. I'm just making a list of things that make me feel really, really good. Wearing Bombas socks. Trust me, that's number one on my list. Bomba socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchased, and that feels pretty good too. To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first purchase. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. It's time to gear up for the NFL postseason. Yes, Head over to NFLShop.com today for the largest assortment of officially licensed gear. I need it! NFL Shop is your destination for jerseys, T-shirts, headwear, and more. Oh, you're sweet with it! 
Come back after the game for the best selection of NFL gear anywhere. How you like that, baby? Rep your team pride with styles fit for the whole family. To shop now, go to NFLshop.com.